What is up? I'm Miguel Antonio, and you are listening to the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. And before we jump into today's podcast, I'd love for you to check out my band, Run With It. You can find us anywhere on any social media platform, at Run With It Band, at Run With It Band. And don't forget to take a listen to our EP. It's called How to Start a Fire on all the streaming platforms. And you can find that if you go to runwithitband.net. That's runwithitband.net. On today's podcast, we have Ryan Irwin. Ryan is the co-owner and director of operations at Robot Logic Marketing. He believes in the power of a coherent story, whether told through traditional outbound marketing or internally to bring teams together for a common purpose. He knows people don't just follow ideas or even leaders. They follow someone who can tell them a compelling story that speaks to their needs. In this episode, Ryan shares how the idea of having a life full of stories worth telling has led him down the path of being a touring pirate, a metal band frontman, an entrepreneur, as well as a husband and a father. We also talk about leadership, marketing philosophy, and tools to balance the day job with your side hustle. It's a great conversation. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Dude, you do all sorts of things, right? Like, yeah. and you know, we originally met under a context of music, but I'll never right. forget the day we were having lunch. I think, we, were we at Trez Omar or something? And you told me about you're joining a pirate band. Yeah. That... <laughs> yeah. I was like, a weird what? <laughs> what in the world? You know, so with your title on the podcast, as as listeners are, are uh, you know, jumping into this convo, uh, you are a former pirate, so you you spent yeah. a time, but but that's not like a Somalian pirate where you're literally you know <laughs> taking Tom Hanks hostage and no you know. <laughs> Although I did have a I did have a close encounter with a Neil Patrick Harris one time. Really, a, in the in the pirate world, yeah. But that's about nice. as good as it got, yeah. And Wait, there was did, no there were no hostages. What was the story on that one? If there's no hostages, and yeah, no, Patrick it's Harris, it's I mean. no, it's a it's a lame ass story. It's it's literally like we were in a. <laughs> Uh, we were playing in New York, uh, the New York Renaissance Festival, and we had heard that there was a big celebrity that was going to be there. And like in morning meeting where the entertainment director, it's always like all the entertainers get together and the entertainment director talks to everybody. And it's usually like, here's what the weather's going to be like today. Wear sunscreen, you know, um, <laughs> but it was um, and then usually like, OK, we got this complaint. So everybody stop doing this now, you know, Um one it was like hey we're gonna have a big celebrity here today remember they are you know here to experience it as well and make sure you stay in character and all that stuff and you know we're like we play the midwest for the most part so mm. we were like i you know whatever there's never you know anytime there's a, there was the one time shia labeouf showed up at the oklahoma renaissance festival and kind of no one gave a shit you know um, well and he probably had a bag on his head or some <laughs> yeah he did something really bizarre no, i remember he had a hoodie and there were a couple of performers that did take pictures with him and we got chewed out for it but um anyway we didn't think much of it but i uh at one point I think we had just gotten off stage and I saw Neil Patrick Harris like walking away from the back of our show with the entertainment director and was like getting toured around and stuff. So that was as close as it got. Like, I think he, he saw at least part of the show, but I didn't, I didn't clock him until after we were done. So I didn't get to like pay attention to like, does he think we're funny? Are we doing good? Like, is he <laughs> sitting back there going like, ah, it's a pirate band. That's weird. He's like, these pirates, they're shit. 
No, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, you guys definitely Shitty were not. Pirates. But what's funny is I, I love his role in uh, The Last Matrix. Have you seen that? Yeah, the, yeah, that was cool. But, yeah. Is it like Resurrections? What what was it called? Was it, I, yeah, I think it was Res- No. Revolutions? Uh, Revolutions. Revolutions. There you go. It. Yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting. Where Yeah, that was uh, that was odd. Yeah. But no, I thought it was very, yeah, super cool. He's, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I always liked his stuff, but yeah, I never, so, I didn't get to like talk to him. He had his kids with him. I, 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 you know, didn't bother him. You let him do his thing. Yeah, exactly. Like we were supposed to do. Yeah. Right. As you should, as you should. Yeah, I, yeah. I imagine that's, that's gotta be hard. I don't, I don't really put up with that. Like Man. as far yeah. as like, I don't know what that's like when people are hounding me, but what's yeah. funny is you guys. So with musical blades uh, for mm-hmm. the listener, you were part of the Ren renaissance performance group uh called musical blades and you right. what was your name red uh gunpowder red or gunpowder red. red yeah it was a very and, uh, stupid name <laughs> and again for the listener like ryan you are like a total like metal dude like you were in prog rock like, bands yeah and... yeah more often than not yeah metal or <laughs> jazz one of those two yeah metal or jazz but then you you started touring with a pirate band <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was life took a weird turn so um the there there are kind of like two sides to the story one is that um the short the the direct version is i had played in the the rock and metal scene in kansas city for uh you know 10 to 10 plus years i think um and had played you know the bands kind of get to know each other and you play a lot of shows together in different iterations and um i had been in two different bands i think with a guy named marty johnson who um is one of the more gifted musicians and singers I've ever played with. He's amazing. Um, but he was a he was a bass player in a band called Boomstick when I first came on the scene. Uh, and they were great. His guitar player's name was Mike Doss, who is has always been my like local guitar idol, right? Um, but then Marty, I started up a band called Dadry Shield with Marty, with him singing, and I played lead guitar. And then went back to the prog band for a little bit and then started up a new band called Monsters of Tokyo that took the bass player from Dadry Shield and Marty, but Marty went and played drums for us. Um, and then we had another guitar player, but all four of us sang. I was singing lead in that band. Um, and it was like big four-part harmonies, but also metal and stuff. It was kind of my favorite. It was the favorite thing I got to do outside of like the comedy prog metal band because that was kind of my baby but that one having big harmonies with like big crunchy guitars is, is just a lot of if i, I remember right you guys did like thing. some pop covers you'd mix oh yeah mix, we like, did Br- like yeah. metal them out yeah we did bruno mars and we did um oh that's right that's right we did a full version i, I we actually recorded uh of a sledgehammer peter gabriel sledgehammer which is by the way the dirtiest song i've ever heard I didn't know the lyrics. I I had heard the music. It's like I could turn this into like a metal up song. The lyrics, oh my god! Like Peter Gabriel's a freak. I had There's no some idea. of those songs we'll cover. Like we were working yeah. on Montero by Lil Nas X, which I I am a Lil Nas oh, yeah. X fan. I oh, love. Oh yeah, him. I love him. He's and great. you know, as it as we dirty. jump into yeah. marketing, I think like he's a a, a brilliant marketer. Maybe sometimes Absolutely. even more so than he is even a musician. But yeah, we started doing that one. I was like, you dirty, dirty little dude. Look That's a you. dirty song. I was, I, and we were getting ready for some corporate stuff. I was like, I don't think we could put this song in this particular show. Yeah. No. So I'm. So I, I was I was with Monsters of Tokyo and I got to the point where I was like, I'm kind of tired. I've been playing, you know, over over a decade. 
and I'm kind of tired of like pouring my, I was, I was generally like the core songwriter. I'm kind of tired of pouring my heart and soul into these bands to play to, to 12 people. And I was just kind of burned out, you know, cause it was, you know, it was a local rock band. Like no one gives a shit unless they're in local rock bands, you know? Um, so I, I, I remember there was a day where I was sitting on my couch and I had been thinking about this for months. And I finally, I was like, I, I was sitting there not doing anything, just thinking I finally like made my decision. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to retire or at least take a very good long break and just not do anything for a while. And I was like, all right, made my decision, picked up my laptop, opened it up. And I've got a message from Michael Doss, who was the guitar, like my guitar player hero. He ain't been a friend, but he was like my local hero for guitar. Um, and we were kind of mutually fans of each other, but I always kind of assumed he was just being nice, but um <laughs> He said, hey, I don't know if you know, if you've seen this, but I'm in this, you know, Renaissance Festival band. We have an opening. Um, the guy who left was kind of the funny guy and was a big, you know, uh, you know, space on the stage. Um, would you be interested in auditioning? And I initially was like, no, because I don't like Renaissance Festival. I hadn't been to a Renaissance Festival in like 12 <laughs> years at that point. Um, I went to the one in Kansas City and that was it. And I was like, yeah, this, this fucking sucks. Um, can I, can we swear by the way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. You, right. you do you, my friend, you do you. Um, so I, you know, was like, no, I'm not going to do this. And I said like later on in the day, I'm sitting next to my wife, Kathy on the couch. And I was like, can you believe the shit Mike wants me to do? And she goes, yeah, you need to do that. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, oh, you're an asshole. If you're not doing anything with music, you need to go do that. I'm like, okay. So I, like, you know, kind you, of, but yeah, you need to do yeah exactly. <laughs> so I auditioned and got the part. And the 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 bigger story and the reason that I really went for it was, um, this is a long time back. I was probably like ten years old, and I was sitting in sitting at my dad's house, and he had a bunch of friends from church over. And I don't remember why, but they were all over and talking, and I was just like, you know, I was a kid. I was just flying the wall, just sitting there listening. And I remember they talked about his choir director at the time at this church in Tulsa it's like a Lutheran church in Tulsa um he and and someone mentioned him and my dad kind of rolled his eyes and goes oh that guy has a story for everything and I and I knew like in the time like dad was kind of like rolling his eyes and mocking it but I remember thinking then like what a cool like I want somebody to say that about me I want to be the guy hmm. that has a story for everything and as I got older and and I mean I chewed on that for years you know as I got older and, and started thinking about like, you know, what kind of man do you want to be and what do you want your, your, your story to be and legacy and all of that shit that you, you know, think about when you're becoming an adult, you know, <laughs> um, before you get old enough where it's like my legacy is I paid my fucking mortgage. That's what I did with my life, you know? <laughs> right. But I, I, but I, I thought, of, you know, like what kind of person comes out on the other side of a life like that, you know, hmm. what, what an interesting unique kind of life that would be you know to come out on the other side of that and be like this guy led a life full of stories like it's yeah. so many you know disparate different you know unbelievable experiences you know um god and i love I, that that I has, love that you're asking that question mm -hmm. at 10 years old well, I wouldn't, that was, that was, that was, I started asking that question as I got older. Oh, okay. The so idea that, of like, that yeah, memory that's what it became. It. Yeah. I see. That, okay. I thought very clearly at that point, like, I want to be a guy that has stories for everything. And that just, for some reason that stuck. And over the years, that's hmm. what it became. So, and that had been a big, big guiding star for me for a long time. 
Um, and a lot of the, the crazy ass stuff that we did in the comedy prog metal band was, you know, started as like, it's stuff that like every band talks about, you know, in practice and stuff like, oh, it'd be funny if we did this. Oh, it'd be funny if we did it. We just did it. We just still did it, you know? <laughs> and it, and every time it was like the thing that gave me the courage to do it was that it's like, well, this is going to be a story if nothing else. I'll be able to say I did this one time, you know? It may be like I got my ass kicked or maybe I was never allowed to play at this club again or whatever, but it'll be a story. And that was enough for me to want to do it. So when the pirate thing came around, it's like, well, this is going to be a story. I mean, it'll be something. So, and as it turns out, um yeah I, I loved doing it um and it played all over the country and, and internationally eventually like it turned into as dumb and as silly and as ridiculous as it is <laughs> it is far and away without competition the biggest thing i've ever done um and it's and i'm super proud of what we did um and, it's and, and they're still doing it, it you know it's like you have you had an opportunity where all these experiences converged as well it's mm -hmm. like the the yeah. storytelling, the acting, the comedy, the music came all together. And it looked like your love yeah. for drinking as well came together too. So <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, it, it definitely, um, it, it, it fits the character very well, right? but it, it fits my character very well too. It, it's <laughs> no, it was, it was the, the funny thing is like you're every single one of these fairs you sign, you know, we have contracts that are like your payment and your terms and all this stuff. But right. part of what you sign is like, you will not drink on site ever. Mm. Like you are not allowed to drink on site. Um, and that is a thing that everybody signs and knows like, yeah, I, that's, that's everyone's drinking on site. It's fine. There are, there are, there are a couple of fairs where that is definitely <laughs> not true. Um, New York is one of them. That, that entertainment director at New York runs the tightest ship. And like those fairs, like New York, Bristol, uh, which is in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then the uh, the Pleasure Fair in California, which is like the big legendary fair. Um, she's the entertainment director for all three of those, um, and she like she runs a tight ship. She runs the best shows I think in the country. Um, they are immaculate. Like the the grounds look amazing. The acts are all top notch. Like everybody's on time. Like it, which is a thing, you know. Right, with um, musicians in general yeah, and then musicians probably... slash Rennies slash you know actors <laughs> it's like the worst possible group of time management you can imagine but <laughs> she runs a, su a super tight ship and it's very hard to get into her shows uh mm. so we were always like we are not fucking around we are not nobody drinks right. nobody does and i could genuinely say nobody did any like we didn't bring i had a, a hip flask that i would wear as part of my garb sometimes right uh, i wouldn't even bring it with my garb it's like i'm Just not getting anywhere sure. near this i'm staying away from it <laughs> she she saw videos of me talking about drinking at fair and messaged uh mike who was like the main contact for her was like hey i saw this don't want to make a big deal out of it but i want to make sure like you guys know you can't do that and we had to be like no seriously other fairs don't care this was this it's like a bit and it's not like we don't do this at your yeah it's we were well, it we does show in. like yeah. if you raise the level of expectation mm -hmm. you know as you're leading something other people and and hold people accountable like yeah. people can like get there you know people it's, will and, do it yeah and i think too often like musicians it can be this thing where it just becomes an excuse to not like, yeah. step up to a whole new level where it's like if you put them in a context where it's like hey here's the money here's the things that you yeah. could have in front of you but if you get your shit together you can have it you know suddenly uh, there's people who can rise to that occasion you know 
that's, yeah, people, that's a cool story. Yeah, people will rise to the level. That, you're absolutely right. People will rise to the level that you set for them, but they're not going to, you know, with a with a rare few exceptions, people aren't going to go beyond the bar you put in front of them, right? right. Like they're gonna they're gonna shoot for that bar. Like the good ones will shoot for that bar. They'll hit it. They'll try to exceed it a little bit. Like they'll try to make sure they're doing a good job. But their definition of doing a good job is set by you, set by leadership, right? Yeah. So you're gonna your your role as a leader is to define is kind of twofold. One, define what the goal is right clearly and attainably and make sure you know smart goals and all that shit but make sure that everybody knows exactly what you know what is the goal what is good job here you know what is job done but then to i I guess three two is make sure you've got the right people to do the job you know make sure that you've got the right crew on board but then three is you know make sure shit gets out of their way you know your job as a leader isn't to be the best at every job that that your team does you know your job is to make sure you have people who are good at it and then you spend your time making sure that that you've established an environment you've created an environment in which they can do their best work you know execute um yeah yeah, you're not executing for them yeah you get out of the way um i you know my my one of my biggest career mentors told me at one point, if you ever find your, find yourself, if you ever find that you're the smartest person in the room, you need a different fucking room. Yeah. You know, and that's, I absolutely, I, I have generally not been the smartest person in the room and it's on, it's on some of its luck, but it's, it's whenever I've had the opportunity to make the decision, I've definitely shot for that. Um, yeah, and that includes the people that have reported to me, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've all, and you know, as it relates to music, like I've always said, like I've, I've played with ridiculously good musicians and I've been incredibly lucky that for whatever reason, these guys, you know, some of these guys like keep, they come back, like they want to play with me again, you know? (laughs) And I don't, yeah, I don't know why it is, but I'm not arguing with them, you know, but Mm -hmm. I, I grow, I, I'm, you know, I usually end up being, you know, for better or worse, kind of the core songwriter in the group. And, you know, I feel like my job is to try and write songs that show the audience, like, you know, know, first goal is just write a good song, but, you know, try to write a song that shows the audience, like, look how good these guys are, you know? Um, That was when, (laughs) so No Cause No Cure was the comedy prog metal band. Um, For a long time, uh, when I was, I sang lead in there at the beginning, um, we were just kind of like an, an aggro kind of rock, hard rock band, you know, um, there was nothing, I mean, they, I think the songs were catchy and swingy and stuff, but that was really what we were going for. Um, and I remember there used to be this thing in Kansas city called phony jam. Um, and they do something oh, similar. Yeah. Na- you told me. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, there's a guy that was in the scene that now is a, a big session player now in Nashville as doing great stuff. Um, but he's taken it out there. I think he calls it rare hair in Nashville now. But it basically is like <clears throat> all the musicians from around town get together and play covers mm-hmm. uh, of, of, you know, the other, you know, well-known songs and the members of these bands just like mix and match. Like I'll play guitar That's on this song, fun. this song, and this song, and I'll sing on this song. And then somebody else is like, I'll play bass on this, this, and this. you know, it's a lot of fun, hell of a lot of fun. But at one point we were doing that in Kansas city and we were at, um, well, it was the hurricane and then it became the riot room. And then somebody ran a fire truck into the building and it's 
gone now. Um, <laughs> right. I, it's what it's a sad. weird so, fucking I'm, two years. <laughs> boy, so weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sad because I know like people died. I think in that. I think somebody died. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm laughing and then. No, no, no. I did the same thing. I was like, I made a joke out. I was like, ah, actually, okay, hang on. Um, Never mind. Yeah, but it's still weird, right? It's still kind of weird. Um, but we were playing there. That's where Phony Jam was. That was the Phony Jam where I left in the middle of the show and went and got a tattoo of a cowbell. Uh, and then came back and finished the show. Um, that was that was a fun night. Um, anyway, uh, we played. It's a Primus song. Oh, we played uh, Tommy the Cat. We played Tommy the Cat. I was singing. Um, the No Cause No Get. My JJ, my drummer, was playing drums for it, and Russ, my bass player, was playing bass on it. And we just had another guitar player. It's just the way that it fell. Um, which by the way, I've had to like sit and learn all the lyrics to Tommy the cat and then perform it. That's a fucking challenge. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, but the, the, we're playing and Russ is, is a really good bass player. He's a great bass player, but he, like his introduction to the music scene as the same as mine was this kind of like aggro metal band. Um, so we go up there and we're playing Tommy the cat and like JJ had been around for a while and JJ's pretty flashy and it was like super pocket, very flashy like both he manages to do both he's the best he's one of the top three drummers in town easily um but the best drummer i've ever played with i I, again i've been and he's the new member of musical blades now too i I got him to be in the club band with us for a long time now he's touring with him full time like he's great um but anyway we play the song we it goes really well we're out eating afterwards um at chubby's where we always when once we close everything, I went to Chubby's. Now it's like a seafood restaurant, but right. um, <clears throat> the uh, it's actually pretty good, by the way. Um, but we we're sitting there eating, and some friend of ours uh, looks at Russ and goes, "Wow, Russ, I had no idea you were that good of a bass player. That was amazing." And a bunch of other people around were like, "Yeah, man, I had no idea you could pull that off. That's great." And I'm sitting there going, "Like, I've we've jammed on Primus, you know, in practice for years. Like, I I knew that. Like, I wasn't, I had no concerns about it. I'm pretty sure he knew the song anyway, you know." Um, it wasn't that much of a stretch for him. And I felt so bad. <laughs> it's like, I'm writing songs that just like put him into a little hole where he doesn't get to do box. anything. Yeah, I felt <laughs> awful. I felt responsible for it. So I started, that's when, you know, No Cause No Cure kind of took a turn into being weird and proggy because it's like, I want to write some shit that shows some people off, you know, that shows off the guys, you know, <clears throat> Monsters, Monsters was like that too. Like, everybody everybody in the band could sing um if you go back and listen to some of those songs there are songs where i would um when we'd be in the studio i'd I'd be over the engineer's shoulder and say like no 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 this is the this is a bass solo and it's not it's just like this atmospheric kind of thing where it's just like a couple of jangly chords going and there's not a lot musically going on but jared the bass player again he plays with the blades now too um it was amazing bass player um but he's just going on these little runs they're just this this gorgeous note selection and it's not terribly flashy but it is it's beautiful Hmm. and that was kind of my direction the engineer was like mix this like it's a bass solo and it was just like that's i i i purposely you know when i was writing that section of the song was like this is i know jared and i know what he can do i know what he'll do with this i want to have a section where everybody gets to you know right show a little bit you know we had a song that was in uh five 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 four all the way through the song 
but it was it was one of my moments where it was like, I'm a genius. Look at what I do. <laughs> but it was it was five four all the way through the song, and it was the same rhythm. This da 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 all the way through front to back. But it would just like what notes and what chords and stuff would change. But it was a big challenge for the drummer to like you know okay drive it stick with the beat okay now put a swing behind it and stick with the beat okay now make it right. you know you play in four and we'll play in five you know and it was just it was an opportunity for him to show off how good he was you know yeah. and show off the cool ideas he could come up with and stuff like that's well, i love that's that more fun to me though. that's more fun to me than yeah. trying to like <laughs> you know learn to play sweeps you know i, I don't give a shit about playing sweep i've <laughs> like, had i've had to like do a... it yeah i've had to do it a couple of times but i i don't I couldn't do it right now. I don't give a shit about playing fast or solos and stuff. I like writing, I like writing, you know, songs that people care about and mean something to somebody, but I like writing for the people that are on stage with me. Cause I feel very right. lucky. I, I, I've almost universally felt very lucky to have these people want to share a stage with me. You know? When I think it's the reality too, is the only way to keep good people, like whether business or in a band, yeah. is to find a way to let them shine in the things that they're really passionate about as well. You know, like you yeah. said, as a leader, you set the expectations, like here's the things we're doing. But once mm -hmm. you see like they're in that space, like then they have this opportunity to, to shine. And if not, if they don't have that, eventually they're going to go find someone else, yeah. you know, to, to follow, or they're just going to be really disgruntled and not fun to work with. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah. and at that, at that stage though, and I'm speaking from experience, mm -hmm. it was, it was, the leader's fault. It was my fault, yeah. you know, when oh, that yeah. happened yeah. because I created an environment in which like that, they, they couldn't shine. They couldn't do their best yeah. because I was getting in the way. That's, and I, I love that. So with the idea of the stories, right. Mm -hmm. Where like, like obviously these stories, it's cool because it's almost like these teachable moments in the stories you're telling, oh, absolutely. which becomes yeah. so powerful, but it also links in with your other piece as you're stepping out on your own, you've done marketing for years. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, I never knew that about you, about that 10 year old, you know, hearing that conversation yeah. that's, that no. spurs you on. But the moment you shared that story, it made so much sense from what I've known yeah. of you over that, I think what last decade that we've known each other. Something like and, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, because you have made a living off of helping people tell their stories. Essentially. That's what I think of good marketing right. as, you know, there's a lot of like strategic stuff and tactical things, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, that's, that's what we're doing. Um, I, I'm curious for you, what does it look like for you to step out on your own in the marketing world and launch your business? Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm in, I, I'm in a very lucky place where, um, and, and John, my business partner, who also in the Blades, um, he's, <laughs> it all well, comes back to pirates, man. It all comes man. back to Blades. It always does. <laughs> well, and there's been a running saying in the year, in the band for years, always open with pirate band, always open, always lead with pirate band always it because it started because it got us out of a speeding ticket one time and then it was you know nice from, honestly from I'm, I'm kind does, of feeling you know. we're talking about doing some social media stuff down the road where we partner up with bands that don't make sense with us because oh. we're pop rock where we have a buddy steve banky and the flatlanders a country act brilliant country nice. act. and so there the idea is he's going to take me around and shopping and dress me up as a cowboy and oh yeah, we're, we're gonna do redo like one of our songs in in like a country vibe. It'd be interesting to do something with the blades. Uh, if oh, absolutely. Even time for them uh, on oh, that. But yeah. anyways, but we'll set it up. But I'll set it up. That'd be hilarious. Your um, pirate oriented, not pirate oriented yeah. <laughs> marketing <laughs> company. We'll, yeah. we'll do, let's dive a little more in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's 
uh, I, I, we're both in a very lucky position that we both have, you know, fairly, you know, we both have jobs that we're liking that are, you know, we're, we're doing, you know, well enough in our careers that we're able to, you know, we're, we're supporting ourselves, supporting our families um, so that we can do, we, and, and, you know, we like it enough that we're not like struggling to stay motivated or whatever, um, that we can, you know, you turn our attention <clears throat> when we have free moments to, you know, doing the thing that we've enjoyed doing that we've hopefully gotten, you know, reasonably good at kind of on our terms. Um, we're not, you know, one of the, when John and I were talking about getting in business together, one of the things that we both made sure was absolutely the case for both of us was making sure like, this is not, we're not going to try to turn this into a full-time gig. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be an, an entrepreneur in the sense of like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want that to be my main job. I don't want, I don't want to support my family off of this. Um, and I would, and John's the same way. Like we, we turned down business before it got there um, because it's not, I don't, I'm, I'm very big on security. I'm very big on making sure that, you know, everybody's fed, the house is paid for, we have insurance, like, you know, that's the important stuff to me. That's the stuff that we do with our day job. You know, mm -hmm. this is a thing we do because we get to work with um, clients we're passionate about, do work that we're interested in, um, and, you know, not do the stuff that we don't care about. Um, <laughs> and we get to do it the way we like, you know, where there's no, um, you know, we came from a long agency, both of us from a long agency background, um, sometimes the same agencies. And it's, a, you know, anytime you you have an idea and you want to do something, you have to sell it to your boss and then you have to sell it to the client services. And sometimes you have to sell it to the client services leadership. And then you have to go sell it to the client to actually do it. And here it's like, hey, I think we should do this. You know, <laughs> that's it. That's, you know. <laughs> They're um, like, and yeah, we came to you and you've been so selective. That's yeah. really cool because there's a, a, a friend of mine who coaches artists a lot. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's an entrepreneurial endeavor as well. And that is one thing he coaches people on. He's like, it doesn't have to be all in. He's like, you have to understand yeah. yourself. You have to look internally. Like some people operate better on the, you know, put all my chips in. And some people operate better where they have to have that steady job because they can't create because it's so, if they went all in, they're just like all yeah. the pieces fall apart for them because their minds distracted. And yeah, it's, yeah, that's really cool to see that you already knew that about yourself and yeah. jumping out into entrepreneurship that way. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, there's a weird, it, it, it is interesting that it's, I, you know, I know enough about myself to know that I'm a particularly high anxiety person. And I, I carry a lot of stress, um, do, you know, do and undo, mostly undo stress. I carry a lot of it. And it's, and I know, I know myself well enough that there's, that, that shuts down creativity, you know? Mm -hmm. um, not that, you know, there are times where it's like, I have to nail it, you know, when it's, I've had over and over again, you know, if it's an audition or it's a big show or something, you know, if it's a situation where I have to nail it, it does give me some focus you know um right. it does give me i perform like fit, do the actual performance better that way than when it's like you know when we've been at fair and it's the 20th week uh you know of the year and we're doing you know it's not like we're reinventing the show every time there's a lot of improv but it you know i definitely am not doing my best performances then you know um <laughs> this is you know this provides a nice you know I don't want to, I don't want to fall on my face in front of the client. I definitely don't want to waste the client's money. Um, but 
if the client's not happy, if the client decides, you know, this is agency life. Sometimes the client just decides they want to send the money to their cousin to do it. And you know, he's going to do a shitty job, but there's nothing you can do about it. You know, right. I've he's lost, like, but I got to, yeah. I have to go to Thanksgiving and everyone's right. going to be pissed That's off. That's really what it comes down blah, to. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I lost huge clients in the agency world where I was blowing the results out of the water and, and all the other channels were like, we were killing it for them. And they just like made some sort of baffling decision. And it's, you know, you want to post more to it. You want to figure out what went wrong. And sometimes what went wrong is nothing. It's, it's outside of your control, you know, and you've yeah. got to be able to bounce back and roll with it. I, I, this being in this position and having, you know, been outside of leadership enough, you know, having had really good bosses and really bad bosses, seen really good processes and bad processes and, you know, good creative environments, bad creative environments, like being in a position where I can, I can create the environment. Um, you know, I'm the one that says yes or no. Um, and, and, you know, can set it up that way that that's, that frees up so much creativity, you know, right. Being able to, I've enjoyed like in, in, in real life, real professional life, I am the last person that would ever be on a client services team. I'm the last person that would talk to the client. I'm the guy that went and negotiated newspaper rates and, and TV rates. I, I, you know, I whipped the team, the internal teams together, you know, I'm the right. guy, I need to be the client. I need to be the one that's working at somebody, you know, I can't be, <laughs> when it gets stressful and you need to get something done, I'm not the guy you send in to be nice, you know, um, no, I need to hammer all that stuff. I kind of <laughs> am. And that's been a, that's been a coaching topic for me for many years. Like there's a soft skills kind of thing, you know, um, but you're, I, you're but, like, yeah, soft skills, but did they get their shit done is what I yeah, want to know. It got, it got fucking done. What's the problem? You know, right. Well, three people cried. I'm like, well, you know, I've cried. That's fine. Crying's that's healthy. It's good for your eyes. I don't know. Like, do they need um, a hug? <laughs> yeah. I'm listen, I'm a teddy bear too. Like, I'll hug people all the time. I'm a big hugger. Like, I'll do both. It's fine. Um, but no, in this in this freelance thing in our in our company, like I like the client work, you know, because it's it's it is it's me, you know. I, I'm you know, I'm living or dying based on my ideas versus and John's. I mean, it's, we're both the right. same way, you know, it's not I'm not going to filter it through somebody else. And I it also sounds know, like you have the opportunity yeah. to to choose and be very selective. Yeah. Where I imagine there's a lot of clients <clears throat> in former you know places you've worked where you're like, yeah, I'd love to never see this person again. You know, but oh my God. That's, yeah, that's the bread and butter. Yeah. You know, yeah, I did marketing for for in arenas that I'm I'm going to have to live off the karma for a while. I've, I've marketed things that I definitely didn't agree with or didn't enjoy. So, right. Yeah. Now it's all small businesses. Now it's like, you know, these are, I, I like small business. I like the idea of like somebody took their passion and turned it into a business and I'm in a position where I can help, you know, and these are, and, and I've, I've, you know, John and I both worked in agencies for so long. Like we know the people that do the social media for giant corporations and do copywriting and SEO and PPC, like have for the big national guys and we're friends with them, you know? So, um, that, that, you know, that lets us bring in, and this is the pitch, right? It's like we can do the big agency work from the big agency people, but we're not going to double your scope of work to throw in admin hours because you need four client services, people working on it because we've got to pay our light bill, you know, right. It's, we're not, there's no, you know, you pay for the hours that got worked and we're not, you know, angling for a massive margin on them either. So, you know, and, and you get 
you know, you genuinely get the people. I, it's, a, it's a pain in the ass because these people work for these big companies now. So I can't be like, you know, you're going to get the copywriter from this client. You know, I yeah. can't go tell them who the clients are. Like, I'm just are. telling you, they're really good. Real big one. Real gotta, big. Gotta, big. <laughs> well, it's funny because the, <laughs> the recording industry has moved that direction too. There's a lot of boutique record companies that are aligned with other like larger companies yeah they're able to keep their overhead really low work on bands that they're passionate about but then they can a la carte some of these people who are doing the big shit in the industry and kind of bring them in and and really leverage resources i think better and keep it about the passion for it i think even that's pretty cool i don't know how they operate now because i think they gotten much bigger but fueled by ramen was maybe attached to like atlantic or something like that and that's where fun fun came up through them and that kind of thing so um yeah that's a fascinating that's a fascinating thing too just in our our modern world we have those options now too where you can a la carte so many things Mm -hmm. as a small or solo entrepreneur you know there's goods and there's good and bad side it's the gig economy right like that's that's and there's good and bad about it you know you think about you know the the obvious examples like uber or lyft or whatever that you know, it's, it's, it was this big inventive thing. And all of a sudden people, you know, DoorDash, like people have, have, you know, figured out how to make money on the side and everything, but in, you know, an age of COVID and the new normal and all that, you know, it's like, that's people's jobs. Like people are making ends meet because of stuff like that, you know? And that's why I say like, we're very, very lucky that we're not making ends meet with this. Um, This is more of a passion project for us, you know? So you know, this isn't, you know, I'm not counting on a client, you know, landing enough clients to be able to, you know, give my kid braces. That's, you know, that's what the day job is right. for. And that, know, that does give know. a certain amount of freedom, you know, and that's, yeah, where I think of like multiple streams of income and like, even in my own music world, trying to build it where I think I did, I did, I made some missteps in the past financially with it. We're now seeing like, oh, if I have different forms, even in the same industry coming mm-hmm. in, it's like, I'm never reliant on just on one, one thing, thing. on yeah. one client on one whatever mm-hmm. and that does bring a huge amount of freedom when you yeah. are balancing these these things right <clears throat> so you got your day job that you love you're not planning on leaving it you got your side project uh side hustle uh business mm-hmm. and then i know you you love your family and you're always making mm-hmm. time for them um what what are maybe one or two tools that you use to make sure you keep everything on the rails in the right direction. That's really interesting. Um, you know, for there is, um, I'll use a word that I learned from listening to you uh, when we were when we were blending it. Um, intentionality is a big part of it. Um, that was, and honestly, like I, I think I, I knew the concept, but I had never heard that word until I heard you say it at one point years and years ago. Um, but being intentional about how you're spending your time you know Hmm. um i my uh, the best example i can think of right offhand is um my son loves Fortnite, loves it love plays it all the time he's really good at it um and i was never a video game guy like we were poor when i was growing up i got a nintendo like four years after everybody else and that was the christmas present i got that year and i had super mario brothers and duck hunt and that was it and the track and field game the weird track and field game that had like a mat that you would let yep. you know I remember those that. Were the, yeah those were the three games that i had 
Um, and ever, that was it. That was all I ever had. And I, you know, I loved it to death, but we didn't, you know, all my other friends were way past it by that point. Um, so I, you know, I, I was never a video game guy. Um, so we got, you know, when Mason got into it, it was like, well, I'll watch, you know, I don't, you know, and he's, you know, you know, over the years, nine, 10, 11, you know, it's, that's the age when they just want to tell you everything about it all the time. And right. it's a, you know, he's my kid. So it's a very long meandering kind of story. Right. Um, <laughs> but he, but he is super into it, you know, um, but I'm, it, you know, so it's just not my thing. And he always wants to play with me. Hmm. And I'm just like, dude, I am shit at video games. I can't play a video game. But now um, it was actually when, uh, when COVID really kicked up and, you know, both the kids were from home. Um, that's when he figured out and got really good at not just playing the games, but like connecting on headsets, finding his friends and they connect and they play. And that was, you know, for all that time, you know, when they didn't leave the house, basically, that was, he was so, that was his social life. And it was, you know, there was a weird, you know, thing where it's like, yeah, my son plays video games all day, but he's talking with, and they have conversations, like they'll take yeah, breaks and just talk. His and yeah. <laughs> and when he plays, like he's jumping around the living room when he plays, I'm like kids getting exercise, kids getting social life, like it's great. But now back to the intentionality thing, like he wants to play with me, like, I'll go to uh, actually his PC and pull up Fortnite on my account and he'll be down in the living room on the PlayStation <laughs> and put the headphones on and we'll talk to him that. And that, I love like, that. that is his favorite thing in the world. And it's like, this is no, I wouldn't choose to spend my time this way if it was just me, but it is like, being intentional, you know, deciding like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I'll play. Let's go. Let's go play. You know? Um, and actually cool. doing it and following through that's a big part of it and, you know um bella our thing like we've discovered we love giving the dog a bath which is bizarre um but we but that's once thing. that's the thing <laughs> once a weekend there's a there's a pet washing place down the street so we'll load falcor in the car we'll go give him a bath we always get him a treat get him like bella's job is to like change the soap and conditioner settings and then they they do the blow drying and brushing and give him the treat and then we have we go to caribou and get bella a smoothie like that's our thing and <laughs> it's like it, you though. know it's like a half hour 45 minutes but that's like and they are super into it they desperately want to go um you know we take the dog to barquet all the time and um while we're out there like bella and i will go like walk around the walking trail there and we don't really do anything sometimes we don't even talk sometimes we both got headphones in but man bella is super into it um <laughs> and that should you know that is like they, the, this whole, you know, remote thing, um, it's got ups and downs, but I like that they have an appreciation of what, you know, working life is, you know, and they know that I'm sitting in my bedroom right now. My bed is here, you know, right. my foot is up on my bedroom, you know, um, <laughs> it's leaning on the headboard, but they, they, like they know what office time is like. They hear my side of the meetings. They know, you know, when I'm having a good day, when I'm having a bad day, they know when I'm stressed out. Um, and then they know, hopefully that I'm, you know, come downstairs and maybe I need, you know, time to chill, you know, I, mm -hmm. you know, cause I don't have a commute to get, get it out of my head, but they know what I'm going, what life is. And then they know that I'm choosing to, you know, spend time with them, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, I, I have to believe that this is a long way to answer a simple question, but I have to Sorry. believe that the just displaying, you know, intentionality is that's the thing. It's not, you know, any specific activity or any specific thing or any specific anything. It's that they know that I'm, I'm trying to make that a priority. You know, it's the intention of it. Um, I, you know, I, I fuck up plenty, you know, I'll right. snap at them or I'll be in a bad mood or I'll, you know, bail on something that I'd said we were going to do or something, but I, you know, make sure like the kids have heard me say, I'm sorry more than anything else, you know? And I think, and even that just teaches a powerful lesson. I think, I think it has to, that's what, that's, yeah. what, you know, that was the only way I was able to reconcile it with myself was, you know, they might see me make these mistakes. They might see me make the same mistakes over and over again. I may make them feel like shit sometime because I just fucked up whatever the interaction is, but they, they have seen me come and apologize and hopefully seen me work on it. You know, right. um, they know that I go to therapy, you know, they know that I take meds for anxiety and, and, and depression and everything. And they've seen me when I'm, when I'm off, you know, they've seen me when it's not working, you know? Yeah. Um, and they know, you know, they've seen, you know, they've, they've seen days where I'm like, guys, I am just, I, I'm my, it, it's an anxiety or something. Like I'm totally, just totally overwhelmed right now. Like I've, I got to spend this evening in the room, but I'm just going to go watch on my laptop by myself this evening. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. And they get it, you know, they're, they're empathetic to that. You know, I have to think that that kind of transparency, um, that teaches a lesson. You know, I think I have yeah. to think that counts as, you know, you talk about, you know, tools to balance and stuff. It's, you know, intentionality and transparency, being honest. Like I, you know, you want to be a superhero for your kids, you know, you want to be bulletproof and at a but certain damn point, it sometimes <laughs> we're just not. Yeah. I, I have to think that there is a certain level of like, you know, it's what they say, like being, being brave isn't about not being afraid, right? It's about mm -hmm. what you do when you are afraid. I have to think yeah. that that's, you know, being, being this like big figure to them isn't about like being infallible or being too strong to be hurt or anything else. It's that, you know, I have all of those flaws and all of those doubts and all of those things. Um, but it's, you know, I'm here fucking trying, you know? Right. When I think if anything we can do, you know, for our kids overall is, is to show them how to live this life as best as they can, you know, and I think even hearing your transparency, like I, it was in my twenties where the, the floor fell out from underneath me as far as depression, and anxiety goes and OCD. Mm -hmm. And I, I realized at that point, as I retraced my steps that I've been dealing with it most of my life, but it came to a head in college. Yeah. But I yeah. thought life was over. I thought I was worthless and I was never going to accomplish anything because yeah. I had never seen a model of how to deal with it. But mm -hmm. it, in a sense, you're almost giving your kids a gift, I think, of of showing them like this is what it looks like in in the guts yeah. and the glory of it. <laughs> you know, it's like um, but I wonder what it would have been like to have a model if if my yeah. early 20 because my like I would say 2025 was just a brutal, brutal struggle mm -hmm. for me. And, but now where they can always see like, Oh, dad did this. And he yeah. talked about this. And it sounds like you have a relationship where they're going to call you if they hit those things, you know, <laughs> they're going to like, Hey, can uh, we go to bar K and talk, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's really cool to hear Int intentionality so. and transparency. That's powerful.
on uh, so. I and I know you got to bounce out uh, here shortly, but so just three more uh, questions oh, yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Um, one like marketing and storytelling, social media, all of that. It's where our band has lived in the past is where mm -hmm. we're applying ourselves to learn a whole new world, which is crazy because we ended a few years back and, mm -hmm. and we started really learning it. And, and now yeah, here we are. You guys do some uh, cool shit. I've always <laughs> loved what you guys are doing. It's great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, man. But what's funny is now we step back on the scene and just in two years, it has mm -hmm. changed like yeah. drastically. Um, yeah. I'm curious for you, what is, I, I, there's so we could probably have a whole other like seven hour podcast about this, but if you had to distill, like when you and John get together, you're starting to work with a new client. Mm -hmm. What is the philosophy? What is that main driving thing that you guys say? Maybe it's a mantra you say to each other to remind you, yourselves as you move forward with a client. Um, I think probably the best answer is when, because we've just gone through like a series, like last week we had, I think four different initial discovery conversations with potential new clients. And the first question you always, you always ask is um, what basically what's the problem? Like, what is, what are you trying to solve here? You know, and it's the, the easiest way is like, if you're building a new website, like what do you want out of your website that it isn't doing right now? You know, hmm. and then you can dig into, well, who's your target market? Who do you really want to talk to? How do they like to be spoken to? How are, you know, but people, uh, you know, you see over and over again uh, with marketing in particular, people will like, I want to do something on Facebook. I want to run Facebook ads or I want to be on Instagram or I want to, you know, whatever it is. Um, I get a lot of people who are like, yeah, well, we should, we should probably run paid ads on LinkedIn, right? Cause we're a business business company. Like, I don't, I, why, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, what is the thing you want to do with that? Maybe, maybe, I mean, LinkedIn's right. targeting algorithm is dog shit, but you know, aside from that, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it has gotten better. Actually, I have a pretty successful campaign running there right now, but it's small um, and it's very niche. Um, but the, the, you know, start with, it, it's, it's like the opposite of begin with the end in mind, begin with the beginning, you know, start at the fucking top. What is the thing that you're trying to accomplish? You know, yeah. um, big picture trying to accomplish, you know, you're trying to play more gigs. You're trying to get a bigger audience. You have a new album that you're trying to put, you know, whatever it is, then you can start with, well, okay, who do you need to reach with that? Like, who are the people that are your core consumer, you know, for that thing, for that one thing you're trying to do, you know, mm. um, we had a, we had a pitch with somebody here recently, um, that had kind of like two, they, they've, they've got a fairly small, it's a lawyer that, um, they have, uh, you know, they want to do like big idea law, you know, like lawyers can just like take cases, just like, this is a thing that I think is a, an injustice that needs to be righted, you right. know, well, there's just, there's specific kinds of lawyers that just have the time and the money to be able to spend to try and develop that. But then there's also like, I also need specific cases to work on. So I have some money to do that thing, you know, right. and the conversation, you know, what, what we had to kind of turn them to was those are two different things that are almost unrelated. Like this one, the one where you just need cases, that's lead gen. Like you're trying to get people to call you with their case or fill out a form that is very different than we want people to know, you know, when somebody has the big idea, we want them to come to us to be able to do it. Like, well, and, and, you know, I don't know how to get, you know, we got to figure out how to get the ads in front of them when they have the big ideas. Like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Chrysler doesn't, uh, you know, Chrysler doesn't run ads to people saying, buy my car, hoping that they get that in front of somebody when they're shopping for a car. They're, they're running ads that just, 
they don't even really tell you much about the car. It's just like it looks cool and it seems like it's going to be comfortable. It's you know something. Yeah, that's what it is, and that's what it, it's. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're you're talking about the difference between lead gen and branding, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I've made the argument for a while, like lead gen you know you get your lead gen peanut butter and your branding chocolate a lot more than you think you do <laughs> but they are different disciplines and there are different you know situations in which you'd want to spend your time and money doing that yeah, that's a good breakdown of it so it's and that's why i think you know one of the challenges that a business like ours has is especially when you're you're doing marketing for entrepreneurs for small businesses right you're not trying you know and this is a challenge for us like we're used to pitching against other agencies mm-hmm. you know when you're in an agency and you're pitching you're pitching a client that has decided they are going to do marketing they're going to hire an agency to do it and you just happen to be in the room as one of the choices we're pitching people who haven't decided to do marketing and if they have they're going to try and do it themselves to save money you know right. So there's a pitch before the pitch, you know, so you've got to, you know, there is, uh, there's an element of it where you're just, you know, convincing somebody like, you know, I think people who haven't done it think like, I mean, I could run an ad, like I can, I can get on Facebook and run an ad just fine. You know, there's a, there's a, a and you can absolutely. And maybe you'll get lucky and it works. You know, they, right. you know, some of those places have set it up specifically to try and make it as, to, as handholdy as possible. Um, but the the broader you know kind of strategic focus of it is a thing that just takes time and experience to figure out how to think that way and then to get out of your own head and realize and this is the biggest one that you're not your target market you're not your mm-hmm. customer you know yep. you know everything there is to know about your business but if you go to somebody that has never shopped for something that you're selling before and talk to them in the way that you talk about your business you'll lose them they don't know anything about your business. They're trying to decide if they want to buy something from you. They don't need to know everything about the back end and how it works. Right. You know, they don't give a shit about your profitability. You know, <laughs> this is not, th- these are not things that you got to talk to them about. You got to talk to your, you know, and that's where good marketing comes in, I think, is the, the idea that you're, you know, uh, people who do marketing think about it in terms of like, I'm working on behalf of my client to sell my client. And if you, I, I think if you break it down and you really want to be effective, you're working on behalf of the consumer. Like you're you're there to advocate for the consumer and what they need and what they want. You're trying to find somebody who is in the who is interested in the thing that you have, right? And what is the you know why are they interested in this? Who are the people who are interested in it? How do they want to talk about it? What are their questions about it? You know, you're not trying, like, you got to, you you know, as a marketer, you have to understand your product, but you're not there to advocate for your product. You're there to find the right consumer and bring them to a product that they're genuinely interested in and then get the, get your client to tell them about themselves in a way that, you know, they don't feel talked, the customer doesn't feel talked down to or talked right. at, you know, um, they want to have a conversation. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the, the job. It's not. You know, you're not Damn, selling a client, huge. you know, it's that's a big, really you know, it, it's, yeah, I think too many marketers don't realize who their clients really are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so. that, that perspective that you're, you're not working for the client, you're working for the customer at that point to, to get them that that's a shift in thinking, even for myself, I, we have a lot of conversations about our fans and what they look like and how mm-hmm. we like trying to study like our actual real fans and understand yeah, them sure. more. 
but yeah. like just even that perspective where it's like i'm not even working to get that album out there i'm working to to get like connect with the, the right mm -hmm. audience that's that's yeah. huge and there's risk there you know because you don't want to be especially as an artist you know if you want to be genuine like you're not trying to you know write music to be sold right like you're not trying right. to write something that your audience is going to like you know you're trying to write your thing and do your you know be in, be genuine with your art you're trying you know on the marketing side of it you're trying to find the people with whom that will resonate you know right. you're not trying to create something that will resonate with this huge audience you're making your thing and then going and finding the people that that resonate with whom that might resonate you know no, and and try to show it to them in a way that that they appreciate and will enjoy you know talk to them the way they want to be talked to you know right on man well and i know we got two minutes left so i'll last, yeah. ask the last two questions but maybe yeah. just do for your own sake because i know you're bouncing <laughs> out um yeah. one sentence for each one if you had to oh, distill down fuck. like if, if you had to, if you had to put it in a graphic okay, okay. so all right um and this for these big questions um right now if you had to put it in a graphic how would you define living a great life um genuine finding finding peace in the places where it exists uh, you can't yeah i think people spend time trying to you know generate inorganic kinds of peace mm. but recognizing recognizing the you know where peace lives for you you know for me it's security and you know being available and you know acceptance being accepted you know being valued you know those are the things that you know if i know those things are covered then i'm at peace with whatever i'm doing you know you know but I th it's going to be different things to different people but i think if you yeah. put in the thought to find find the peace where it exists for you it's a pretty great life. I love that. Yeah, don't manufacture it. Too often yeah. we do. Well, and then the last question. Um, right now, how would you define creating great things? Well, um, I think you have to define greatness. I, I will always get like super analytical about this shit. I think you have to, you know. But that's why you have a marketing yeah, company. <laughs> that kind of is, yeah. Um, I think greatness, I, I think it, if you're going to create greatness, first you have to define greatness. You know, what is greatness for you? There's no wrong answer, but it's the same thing. Like you have to know, you know, begin with the beginning in mind. What, what is greatness? You know, what is greatness for you? You know, greatness for me may be a solid paycheck and spending time with my kids. You know, I think there's probably going to be some sort of creative outlet that's going to have to bubble back up again eventually. But for right now, greatness is like, do my kids like me? Do my kids, well, do my kids you know, value their time with me. They're not always going to like me, but, right. you know, <laughs> but greatness is, you know, my kids are doing good in school. They look like they're turning into good people. You know, um, I think my wife likes being with me more often than not, you know, which I'm not an easy personality, you know, <laughs> that, that's really saying <laughs> something, you know, I think, yeah, I, I think if you want to create greatness, clearly define what greatness is for you. Then you can figure out how to get there. I love it. Let folks know how they can get in touch with your company and get in touch. Uh, with yeah, robotlogicmarketing.com. Um, 
that's that's it we got it we got it again we can click shit on the site there's there's website <laughs> shit that's fine robotlogicmarketing.com or you know whatever i'm on facebook and twitter and all that stuff so. right on well thanks for making the time i know you got a meeting i, yeah. I appreciate it man it's great dude it's really good to talk to you thanks for inviting me i appreciate it thank you for listening to the live and create podcast if you like what you heard make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review the live and create podcast 